The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host, and this is episode 27 Really fun episode today, at least uh, certainly fun for me to record, and I think you're going to enjoy it a whole lot. Jason Bringhurst has been one of my best friends for many years, and everyone I know who has ever met the guy just absolutely loves him, and you're about to find out why. He is also a blogger. His blog, Rocky Mountain Sunshine, is just fantastic and filled with all kinds of his life experiences. Highly recommend you check it out. We're going to talk about that and so much more. And this week in my Latter-day life, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my thoughts on President Nelson and how he truly is a special witness of Jesus Christ. So a lot in store, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. My guest today is a blogger who is also a very long-time friend of mine, one of my closest friends, Mr. Jason Bringers. Jason, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here on the show. So Jason and I have known each other since, uh, I could have done that homework. Let's <laughs> see, 97, well, no, you were in you were in Europe, so we've known each other since. Uh, yeah. When did you come back? Probably uh, 1997. Yeah, 97, yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, suffice it to say, more than 20 years, Jason and I have been friends, and we're going to hear a little bit about Jason's story. Uh, Jason's blog, by the way, so we get it up front, uh, Jason's blog is called RockyMountainSunshine.com. You can go to, straight to RockyMountainSunshine.com. And how long has the blog been up? Um, a little less than a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're pretty consistent with writing in it. Yeah. Yeah, you write in it quite a bit. Um, so let's go back a little bit. Jason, tell us where you're from. Yeah, so I grew up uh, uh, locally in Midville, Utah, um, and uh, yeah, grew up, uh, went to uh, uh, East Midville Elementary and Midville yeah. Middle, and then on to Hillcrest High, so yeah, lo- local guy. Local boy. Yep. Stayed in Utah, well, not your whole life, we're going to talk about that a little bit, but, um, and then tell us about your family. Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up uh, um, kind of a... Uh, in in poor circumstances um was just a single parent my mom and uh so it was just me and her for uh, a lot of years and and uh, a lot of moving from apartment to apartment to rented home um and uh then uh yeah when i was about uh um 11 she she married um and uh unfortunately did not uh uh, marry a great guy. He was uh, an alcoholic, and uh, That's tough. But I did have a, a sibling that came uh, when I was uh, uh, twelve, so that was nice. Uh, my my brother Nick was was born. So what's the age difference between you and Nick? Uh, it's about twelve years. I didn't realize it was that that much. I don't know why. Yeah, because yeah, I met Nick when he got home from his mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick's a, a very very good guy. Worked for us for a while. So you grew up, um, and you growing up, you, you, you've written about this a bit on, uh, on your blog, you and your father did not know each other growing up. 
Yeah. Or you really didn't spend any time with him? Yeah. So uh, I don't remember much about my dad, but uh, my mom and my dad kind of uh, cut ties when I was pretty young. Um, and uh, funny enough, um, I um, ended up looking him up uh, yeah. when, I was, when I was older. Um, and, uh, back then it was open the phone book and yeah, I was going to say that's pre-internet search though. I mean, you couldn't just do a Google search for him. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, uh, found him in the phone book and literally, uh, went and knocked on his door. Um, kind of a weird experience. Um, How old were you when you did that? I was, uh, I was 19, 19 Um, years old. I was preparing to go on a mission and I, I, that was one of the things (laughs) that, you know, when you, you grow up and I've, I've talked to a lot of, uh, uh, people who have uh, grown up adopted, which in kind of similar circumstances, you kind of wonder just like, what do they look like? You know, what, what, what are, what are they like? You know? Um, and, uh, you see someone on the street that kind of looks like you like, could be my, my father. I don't know. And so you, it's good that you don't approach those people. <laughs> you look like you can be my father, are you? Yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah, I, I knocked on his door, and and uh, he was actually really gracious, and and we started a uh, a relationship at that point in my life, really through letters um, while I was on my mission. So. Yeah, and you're you're now close to your father. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. we're very close. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's been a good thing to reconnect. And of course, your mom's just an amazing lady. I've had yeah. the privilege of meeting her and uh, spending time with her many times. And what a just sweet, loving woman. So, yeah. and then uh, your grandma was very influential in your life. You write about that a lot. She yeah. was a major figure growing up. She really was. So, you know, growing up, my mom, uh, being a single parent, worked. And so... Um, I was with my grandmother. Um, luckily, she was there. I wasn't uh, in daycare or whatever, but I, I, you know, was really uh, raised a lot by her and introduced to the gospel by her because my, my mom was not active. In fact, my mom was rebaptized into the church when I was uh, eleven. What an amazing blessing! That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, some of the stories you've told me about your grandma she sounds just like such an amazing person, strong yeah. to step in into your life. So you grew up, uh, decided to serve a mission. Tell us where mm-hmm. you went on your mission. Yeah, so I, I was inactive for a little while, and uh, um, I had actually gone to church, and uh, um, my bishop, Moroni uh, Whitaker, came up to me. And, Moroni Whitaker. Yeah. So I, t- I tell people, I said, I, I, I you know, had Moroni come to me to tell me I should go on a mission, <laughs> and uh, that's why I went. So, um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, so, so Mar- Moroni Whitaker, you're sure he was Mormon? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was Mormon. Moroni so. Whitaker, that's fantastic. <laughs> but, you know, he, he was inspired to, to talk to me and said, you know, I, I, I think you should go on a mission. And, and at that point, I was completely inactive. I hadn't been to church for a long time. And and so I uh, got things in my life straightened out and, and uh, um, uh, put in my papers. And and uh, it's one of those things where I thought that I, you know, knew exactly what was going to happen. I put in my mission call right after Christmas because I wanted to be at home at Christmas. And so in in January, you know, I'm, I'm expecting this this call to come and it doesn't come. In February, it finally comes. And, and uh, I, you know, had quit my job and was ready to go out. And then I wasn't called to go into the MTC until May. And, and I was really shocked at how long of a t- wait it was. But Yeah, that's pretty common now. But that was when we were, because Jason and I are pretty close to the same age. When we were that age... Missions were usually pretty quick. I think yeah. mine was, mine was less than three months. Yeah, and I got my call back in a, in a few weeks. Yeah, so yeah, I was called to serve in a, a fairly newly created mission, the Bordeaux, France mission, and I was I was pretty excited about that. Yeah, 
You're you're one of the people I know who you know, I know guys who I find out years later they served in a certain area. Your mission really impacted you. Like I mean, so much of your life revolves around France. Like it's yeah. just a big <laughs> been a big part of your life. Tell us a little bit about your mission. So my mission uh, really was, I mean, it was a life-changing experience. Um, for me, fortunately, they had not raised the bar yet. Um, somehow I was <laughs> able to sneak in uh, because, uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was not really well prepared for, for my mission. I had not had any siblings. I really didn't know a lot about what I was getting into. It's kind of like when you're little and you jump off the high dive. Once you're up there, you're like, I guess I'm jumping off. I, and, yeah, <laughs> I'm not climbing down. I'm just going to jump. So, uh, um but uh, I, I really kind of found myself, and I, you know, I've thought back, if I would have known maybe how to come home at the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have uh, come home because I, it, was, it was hard in the beginning. Um, but sure. uh, I was in a foreign country, and, and uh, um, I, I, I really just began to rely on, on, uh, on prayer and faith and, and uh, really fell in love with the Book of Mormon, fell in love with the, the French people mm, and awesome. and my, my testimony just just uh, really really blossomed and, and it was a it was a life changing experience for Not me. Not to mention the French food. You are one of the biggest French food uh, fans I know. I love French food. So I don't part of my problem is I you know, I read the blog. I don't think you've written about the, the problem is I know all your stories <laughs> and I read the blog. Yeah. So have you ever written about your one companion in in France who ran off? No, that, it's a great. That's, can you t- can you tell that story? Because yeah. that's a great story. Yeah. So uh, you know you have weird things happen, but I had some especially weird things happen <laughs> on my mission. Um, so uh, my my companion, and this was at the very beginning of my mission. I, I he was my trainer. I did not uh, understand a lot of, of French, um, and uh, uh, he had apparently a girlfriend at home who had decided to uh, backpack through Europe and was going to be coming through our, our city. And uh, I, I, of course, knew none of this, um, but all of a sudden uh, uh, we were, I was told we're going downtown and uh, he was meeting a friend there and I was like, oh, that's interesting, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, but, you know, and a little junior companion, just, okay, whatever. And, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, he sees her and, and, uh, they're they're talking and and um, you know keeping close, being a good junior companion, and uh, we get close to this tower. It's in a, a little uh, city called La Rochelle, beautiful city on the, the ocean, and uh, um, they have these big towers there. And uh, all of a sudden, he grabs her hand and runs up this tower, and I go to follow him, and it was like you know ten francs or something to to get up the tower. And I had no money on me. <laughs> And so I sat at the bottom uh, waiting for my companion to come back. And uh, a little while later, um, they both come down kind of misty-eyed and, and uh, teary-eyed. And, and uh, he sh- had given her this ring that he'd been wearing and asked her to, to marry him and to wait, to wait for him. <laughs> oh, and, no. And, uh, oh, no. And I was just blown away that I had just had my companion propose to someone <laughs> I didn't include that on our mission letter that yeah. week, so to that depress was, me. <laughs> well, my companion's engaged. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. Oh, that's such a funny story. So you you serve a great mission. You get home. Where did that take you? And so yeah, like you said, my, my mission was super influential. Um, so I was going before my mission to Salt Lake Community College, um, and uh, had been taking some business courses. And uh, my uh, companion was applying to BYU 
and uh, said I should apply. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I, not that same companion. No, 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 this is towards the end of my mission. No, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then uh, my mission president also said, uh, you know, I, I think you should apply to BYU, and and I had never crossed my mind. I was I was you know yeah. not not a scholar. It was not very uh, you know really even thinking of education much, but uh, I thought, well, you know, why not? And so I I applied to BYU thinking that there was no shot that I was going to get in in there. And, uh, you know, BYU now is extremely hard to get in. Uh, But, you know, even back then it was not, you know, (laughs) a real easy university to get into. And so um, I I applied and and because of the great grades that I had at Salt Lake Community College, and I think, you know, through some inspiration, I was able to to go to BYU and started my degree there um, with a minor in French. That's great. Yeah. So uh, at some point in this, you meet a very special young lady. Tell us about Jen. Yeah. So um, my mom had been telling me I really should get together with my cousin who is down at BYU. Jen is not your cousin. I just yeah. want to preclude no, that Jen. at the very beginning. Yes, that, that's, that's not <laughs> that the direction it's going. That was a uh, terrible <laughs> opening. Do not ever open that story again that way. <laughs> everyone, How did you everyone paid really close attention, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing moms in minivans everywhere diving for the power switch. Yeah. So, but, but. So, okay, so, that's so out of my the way. cousin is uh, is attending BYU from uh, Port Angeles, Washington, and uh, so I go uh, over to her apartment and uh, and visit with her a little bit. And uh, one of her roommates catches my eye, and and uh, all of a sudden I started visiting my cousin all the time. <laughs> yeah, suddenly your cousin's <laughs> like, "Wow, we were never that close, Jason. Thank you." <laughs> and uh, yeah, and started inviting you know their uh, apartment over for movies and and whatnot. And and so Jen and I met and and uh, started dating and, and yeah. uh, through. Uh, um, some of the hardest uh, sells um, pitches of my life somehow and convinced her to uh, to marry me uh, yeah. about a couple of years later. So. How long have you guys been married? So we were married in 95, so it's been 23 years. Yeah, this year. amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and Jen is from Port Angeles, Washington. Yeah. And tell us who your brother-in-law is. Uh, my brother-in-law is Jim Bennett, actually, yeah. one of your former guests. Jim Bennett, who uh, ran for Congress, Senator Bennett's son, who is a former guest. Mm-hmm. And I will put in the plug that you can listen to all back episodes on <laughs> LatterDayLives.com or in iTunes. But Jim is uh, a great guy. So you and Jim are, are brothers-in-law. Yes. So in 95, you and Jen got married. Yeah. And then where where did you go from there? Where, where did your career take you? So... Um, as a lot of people, once I got married, I kind of felt uh, a responsibility to to uh, earn some money, and uh, I had been uh, just working part time. And one of my neighbors, um, a friend of ours, a mutual friend Alan Johnson, uh, said that they were hiring where he was working, and uh, that I should um, apply for uh, an account manager position. and And I had no idea what what that was. I thought it had something to do with accounting, and I had taken some <laughs> accounting classes. And I can be an account okay. manager. Yeah. So <laughs> I I applied and and started uh, um, working at a company called System Connection, where where we both worked in in the past, and. And that turned into a career eventually. Um, yeah. I had no idea. I thought it was going to be just a, a job that I uh, worked out while I was going to BYU. Um, ended up working there full time, and uh, my my career started to take off before my my degree finished. <laughs> yeah. So System Connection was a computer cable company. Uh, we made and sold computer cables, and this is where Jason and I met. 
Uh, I started working there in 97, but you were not there when I got there. Tell us where you were. That's right. So after a year of working at System Connection, um, I was uh, studying French at at BYU. I was uh, in the international relations um, program, and uh, one of the owners... um, sat me down and said, you know, would you have any interest in, in working overseas for us? We have a, a, a branch in Holland. And, uh, and he, it's funny because during, during the conversation, he, he also mentioned the Netherlands and I was like, well, so which is it? <laughs> I said, the Netherlands or Holland? I, I need to tell my wife where we're going. <laughs> the Netherlands seems much farther away than the, uh... I don't know about the Netherlands. <laughs> I'm all for this Holland. Place, but Holland but... sounds wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, never even brought in the Antilles part. Never even mentioned that. That would have been way too far. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, um, we had, he had a, our, me and my wife come in we, we, we talked about it and we found ourselves, uh, in very short time, uh, heading overseas. Um, you know, we'd been married about a year off to an adventure and that really kind of cemented my, my career in this, this industry yeah. because, um, I went over there and I basically ran my own company, a smaller version of yeah. the U S company. Um, that's when I started traveling overseas to China and meeting all the factories and, and, uh, and so, in fact, we even had our, our first child, Julian was born in, in, in Holland. Yeah. What was that like having a baby in Holland? Well, it's, uh, it's very different. Um, they, they usually, um, have babies, uh, in the home with, uh, um, basically, uh, a midwife helping. And, uh, we, um, were nervous because Jen's sister, um, had had cesarean section, mm. um, for the, her births. And we were worried that that might be required also. And so we, uh, through much convincing, uh, told them that we needed to have the the birth in the hospital. Mm. Um, And in order to do that, the midwife has to come out to confirm that you really are having a baby. Wow. And uh, so we, uh, late at night, uh, um, it all happened and got to the hospital and there was hardly anyone there. And there was one doctor on duty and she uh, um, was giving... uh, birth to twins in another room uh, and she would keep running back in wow. and uh, say something like, okay, I see the head. That's perfect. Keep doing what you're doing and should run out leaving me there. <laughs> Just panicked, hitting keep the doing panic what button. You're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And the panic button's getting, you know, hit over and over and, and, uh, but on the certificate, it shows that I assisted in the birth and she came in right before the <laughs> Julian came out and, and actually delivered the, the uh, Julian, but, uh, it was, it was definitely a different experience. And then you're not, uh, you're, you're, you're done, you know, within two hours they had uh, said, you know, shower and you got to head home. And so, Holy we, cow. you know, we found ourselves within the space of a few hours back at home with a brand new baby, uh, you know, that's it. And no, there you go. no parents around to, you know, kind of tell you oh. what to do. We were, we were uh, a little, uh, out of our element there. Not, not, yeah. uh, not sure how to, how to handle this. That's but. crazy. <laughs> That is amazing. Yeah. So you were in Holland. Uh, then our company got bought out by another company. Yeah. And that brought you back to the U.S., which is where we met. Yeah. So we when when we got uh, um, acquired uh, by Esselte, um, they had this division called Curtis, and they actually moved us to uh, England for for a short. Oh, time. I forgot you lived in England for a while. Yeah. And so we were just uh, outside of Cambridge, um, and uh, but I had not finished my degree yet, and uh, it turns out it's much harder to get a work permit in England. 
And at the same time, I was, uh, I was kind of nervous and worried about my younger brother. Um, he was kind of going down the same path that I had gone down was, and was kind of inactive. And I, I was actually praying that somehow I'd be able to come back to, mm. to Utah. And, uh, so after six months in, in England, yeah, we, we came back and ended up buying a house down in Springville. Yeah. You bought a house with the most amazing woodwork in it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you came back, that's when we met, we started hanging out. Yeah. And then in 2001 was the big dot com crash. Yeah. And uh, we found ourselves without jobs and just desperate to do anything to get a job. You took you had taken a job that you didn't care for. Yeah. But uh, that's when we decided to start a company. That's right. In that Springville home at the kitchen table. At that kitchen we, table, that's we, right. Uh, we sat down with a very rough business plan. Very rough. And had no idea what we were getting into and jumped into it. That led me and Jason on uh, not only a fantastic friendship, one of my best friends, Jason and I still go grab lunch uh, once or twice a month at least, and we hang out a lot, but uh, also a really fun business. We ran that business together for a few years and then sold it, and those were good times. Those were very good times. Yeah. Um, with Sean's personality and, and my personality, it was not uh, a very wise business decision <laughs> because... We would go in the conference room to have an important meeting, and we would be laughing so hard at silly jokes that we would hardly ever get anything done. Yeah, I don't think our employees were as amused by us as we were. We were much more amused with ourselves than our employees ever were. In fact, I remember Sean and I have this incredible knack for telling puns, and not everyone appreciates a good pun. Most people don't. I remember one night, we were on a business trip, and we... uh, um, we had to get up early, but we, we were at a point where we couldn't afford separate rooms. And uh, we were so tired, but every time one of us was about to fall asleep, the other one would say one more pun. And we would start <laughs> laughing hysterically. And then just about as the other one was about to doze off, the other one would come up with another. And we... <laughs> That's why we can share a room either. Yeah, so. <laughs> we, it was it was not good. We pay, we played a lot of foosball, a lot of foosball, but we made some money too. We, we actually did. grew yes. a whole business. We had an incredible <laughs> company yeah, after all that. And then once we sold it, and uh, you left, you started your own company. Yeah, in the worst sell in the history of companies <laughs> selling. Yeah, when I say <laughs> sold the company, you should see me doing the air quotes uh, through some. Some sticky contract things that were things were built in the contract. We, in essence, gave the company away, but yeah. great experience. Very, but very now and experience. now you own your own company. Yeah, through uh, yeah through some uh, uh, different jobs, I, I realized that I was pretty unhappy and ended up uh, a couple of years later starting starting kind of back in the same industry. And, yeah. you know, now looking back at it, I think it's all been great. You know, you've ended up having a great uh, career and, and uh, I've, I've been able to have some success with, yeah. with this company. So it's, it's been good. What year did you start Professional Cable? 2007. So mm. we just passed our 10-year mark. That was amazing. Long time. You guys do computer cables and yeah. all kinds of technology cables, accessories, yeah. things like that. That's yeah. really cool. So tell us how many children you have. Six children now. So six. So it started off with uh, with Julian being uh-huh. born, like we said, in Europe. Mm-hmm. And then walk us through the rest of your kids. Yep. So Julian is now uh, 20. She's serving a mission in Omaha, Nebraska. That's so awesome. And, and coming home. And coming home in April. In so, April. Yeah. Amazing. That pretty, was so quick. Yeah. yeah. 
and uh, Maggie, who's 18 now, she was actually born on my birthday. So um, for neat. the past 18 years, I've had nice pink birthday cakes. So. <laughs> Barbie cakes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she is actually uh, overseas on a uh, uh, language program where she teaches English in the Ukraine. Yeah, and She's been there amazing. a couple weeks now. Um, we have uh, Emma, who is uh, 15 years old now. Mm-hmm. And, um, then, so three girls in a row, then we had our first boy, Gavin, he's 12 yeah. and, uh, he is on, unfortunately a winter camp right now. So in Utah, we've had no snow like all year until the weekend <laughs> oh, what that he a weekend went for it. on the, uh, the winter camp. Yeah. Like six but. inches of snow outside my house. <laughs> and, uh, then we have Camille who's eight and, uh, Xavier, our youngest two is six, turning, yeah. si- turning six next month. So Xavier, I want to talk a little bit about Xavier because uh, that was quite an experience when Xavier was born. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, as a um, self-employed person, you generally don't have the best insurance. And so we, we, uh, we had uh, and still have a a high deductible type insurance and, uh, and things were going along as planned. Um, Jen ended up having uh, cesarean sections. And so we thought we knew exactly when the baby was coming and uh, it would be all scheduled out. And um, we had had five children. We thought we knew everything about having children. Yeah. Um, and so he was due in May and uh, February 18th. Um, uh, he, in 2012, he, uh, we were um, watching a movie and uh, Jen, you know, kind of leaned over to me. She's like, you know, I haven't felt the baby move today. It's kind of weird. And I was like, oh, that is weird. And I said, why don't you, why don't you call the doctor? And so she called and and came back. She said, they want us to come in and do some tests. And uh, I was a little annoyed. and like, all right, probably could have waited till tomorrow. But, you know, yeah. so we paused the movie and, and uh, tell the kids that, you know, we've got to run to the hospital. It was kind of late at night. And, and uh, got to the hospital and they do some tests and and uh, I can hear the the heartbeat and I think great you know we're we're good we're gonna be home <laughs> finish this movie and uh, they came back after a while and they said uh, we're 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 gonna take the baby we need to deliver right now and I'm like you don't understand this baby's not due for three more months so you can't yeah. be delivering the baby right now and uh, so Jen was at 28 weeks mm. um, into the pregnancy and, wow and he was born um, February 18th a uh, little two pound uh, 12 ounce baby. Mm. So he was born with a lot of health issues. Yeah. So initially, um, they were very worried about uh, his heart. He had a hole in his heart um, mm. and um, all the other things that, you know, that haven't quite fully developed. Um, I've, I've learned in the past that there's a huge difference between 26 weeks and, and 28 weeks. The problems that you have at 26 weeks are, are, are much greater, but 28 weeks is, is not a cakewalk. And so after two days uh, here in the hospital in Orem, um, they took a, him on an ambulance with the Life Flight crew um, up to uh, Primary Children's, which yeah. is our local um Sure. You know, children's hospital. And that, that to me was really scary because I realized this is super serious. I mean, they're not transferring. Yeah, they don't do that lightly. A two day old baby um, with a life flight crew for no reason. Yeah. So, yeah, they don't mess around with those things. What did they discover when they got to primary children's? Well, um, a lot of things that they monitor, um, the, the, the hole in the heart eventually, um, closed, which was great. 
um, and lungs and, and all, you know, a lot of things that they monitor, um, was, was, was good. Um, still had some breathing issues. Um, he's on a, you know, a, a respirator for a long time. Um, feeding was a problem. Um, and, uh, but eventually the, the, the biggest concern, uh, became, uh, the uh, size of his head was growing. And so um, there's something that I learned very quickly. Uh, when, when, when you're in the hospital, yeah. you know, nowadays, when you hear these terms, you're frantically Googling what, what things are. And so they, they talked about uh, um, hydrocephalus. And, and uh, hydrocephalus is, is basically water on the brain is what a lot of people call it. But it's uh, when the, the cerebral spinal fluid gets trapped in, in the brain and can't escape. So it just keeps growing and growing. And mm. so um, in third world countries, you've seen maybe pictures of, of these kids with these you know, enormous heads um, yeah. because they, the, the, the fluid just gets trapped. Um, mm. And so when, when we found out he had that, um, that uh, started a long series of, uh, surgeries and, and, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of scary times up there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sad and frightening the first time when both you and your wife leave the baby at the hospital. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're, you're the, um, you're the protector, you're the provider Yeah. and leaving the baby. That's, that's tough. That's really tough. I remember some very late night conversations we'd have during those times. And uh, I remember quite literally it was touch and go. I mean, in a very literal way, I remember uh, just praying that Xavier would live. And how did that experience, knowing that you couldn't bring him home? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, he was at the hospital for a long time. Yeah. How did that experience affect your faith? You know, it um, honestly was a very spiritual time for us. The uh, the NICU up at Primary Children's became a, a sacred place. Mm. You uh, you watch other children die while you're there. You watch their families grieve. And my, my faith was really tested. I remember the first time I placed my fingers on his little head mm. to give him a blessing. And just for a split second, I thought, do I really believe in the priesthood? Yeah. Do I believe that I have been given God's power to bless this little baby? That was tough. Yeah. And, you know, I multiple times just felt there were angels surrounding him. Yeah. To to uplift yeah. us and, and to be there with him. It was it was a sacred time. Yeah, I believe that. I yeah. I you know I just remember keeping we kept thinking he's out of the woods. Things are good. Yeah. And then a week later or whatever, you'd call me and go, well, they're having problems with it draining or they're having to do yeah. this other procedure. And that, how, how was that for the rest of your family, for the rest of the kids? You know, it was extremely hard on the family, uh, especially, you know, looking back, Julian and Maggie, Julian was 12, Maggie's 10. Yeah. And they, they really had to take on some serious responsibilities. Uh, right. The way our days would work out. Uh, would get the kids off to school, 
Jen would go up to primary children's um, and she'd be there all day. Um, the kids would come home and Julie and Maggie would take care of them till she came home around dinner time. I'd come home for dinner, would have dinner as a family. And then I was up to the hospital yeah. until late at the night. That was, that was our, our routine. So they, you know, they, they had a lot of responsibility put on them, but um, we really rallied and unified as a family too. It brought us together. Sure. It strengthened you in ways that you can't otherwise, you would never right. pray for it. Oh no. Yeah. You'd never, you'd never want this, but um, how long was, how long was Xavier in the hospital? So he spent four months at primary children's and, no. uh, and that was um, unfortunately not the end. You know, we thought we're done when, when we leave, but um, you know, hydrocephalus, it's one of those things that uh, there have not been a lot of advances in the past 50, 60, 70 years in, in mm. treatment. I mean, there's no cure, but the treatment is, is very antiquated. They, so, so once you have hydrocephalus, you basically have it for life. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a lifetime yeah. thing. And, uh, and so they, they have to do this brain surgery where they put in, uh, it's called a shunt. It's basically a little pressure valve. And as the pressure builds, it releases and, and drains the fluid, mm. um, into the abdomen. It has a little catheter that runs inside the, the, the body down into the, the abdomen and, and releases it down there. Well, these are little mechanical valves that, that uh, either get infected or they stop working. They're mechanical. And so Xavier's had eight surgeries so far oh, gosh um, eight surgeries at six years old yeah and it's all brain yeah it's all I brain mean, surgeries. Not, these are these are not every uh, time it's little surgeries he's had other surgeries as well on his on his eyes and and uh for a g-tube which is a feeding tube in the stomach and yeah but uh yeah those are brain surgeries how's he doing now excellent he's yeah. he's doing really well he's in kindergarten um he's uh just a super uh active uh excited you know, five-year-old boy who's turning uh, six next month, looking forward to his birthday. And it's, it's amazing. And it was, it was really, I mean, I, I just remember so many people rallying around you at yeah. that time. Did you feel that love of your ward and your neighborhood and your friends? Oh, definitely. You know, and, and uh, during that time, we were gone so much. We had no idea how many meals came in. Um, we would just come home and see that there were, you know, empty casserole dishes and things that people had, had brought over. And, and, uh, you know, people were just, yeah, they were, they were there doing everything they could. Um, you at one point put together a, uh, comedy, uh, fundraiser. Oh night. yeah. And uh, I forgot all about that. <laughs> we did. And we put together a fundraiser with Michael B and Stephen Jones, former yeah. guests. Yep. That was a really fun night. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And we, you know, we so appreciated everyone's concern and it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a tough time. Um, you know, financially, of course, uh, was, was horrible. Um, one of the miracles of, of, of it all is, you know, I mean, you know, a couple of years into it, we had, you know, acquired so much debt, um, mm. with all these, these medical bills with, you know, our high deductible insurance. And, and then as fortune would have it, I had a hip replacement, like the week before Xavier had another brain surgery. And, yeah. and uh, um, I remember just looking at the finances and I had, I had tried to shelter my wife from it because I didn't want her stressing about finances and worrying about the baby. Um, but I was, I was nervous and, and, I didn't see any way of us getting out of it. And yeah. I, as I look back at it, I don't know how we got through it other than I know I paid tithing. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. the only thing I can say is that 
somehow <laughs> it worked out. And, yeah, which is know, incredible because the bills were the bills were enormous, and we're still paying for medical bills. I mean, we, sure, but uh, somehow we navigated through it all, and mm. I, I I credit it to t- paying tithing. Yeah, I uh, I just think you guys are such an inspiration, and and you know, I I I would, I mean, I got to tip the or I got to dip the tiniest corner of my pinky toe into this whole situation, <laughs> going through it with you as your friend, and just going to lunch and whatever not, but. Yeah. Uh, the way that you and Jen made it through and with your family, it's just amazing. And to see Xavier's little smile is just in, really incredible. Yeah. It's really cool. You you touched on your hip surgery. Yeah. I just, I have to, it just sparked a memory that's so funny. <laughs> I, I went and visited you in the hospital. Yeah, and, it was uh, not you, a great experience for me. <laughs> it's not a high point in my life. <laughs> Getting hip surgery? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so, so Jason gets hip surgery. I go to visit him in the hospital. I think I... I think I brought you some Diet Coke or something, but, but I remember getting there and I saw your family leaving. Your family was getting in the elevator as I was getting off. Uh-huh. And I walked down to your room and I remember you were really excited. I was there and I thought, Oh, this is great. He's so excited. I'm here. Why? And you told me that, uh, that one of your kids had said, do you think any of your friends will come visit you here in the <laughs> hospital? And I think it was, it was probably Maggie who said, Dad doesn't have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> so you were thrilled that your kids saw you actually had a friend who came and visited you in the hospital. Friend. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, less than a year ago, you started uh, a blog, which surprised me. Like I've always known you as being so funny and so witty, uh, but not necessarily a writer. How did Rocky Mountain Sunshine come together? Yeah, that, that's that's a really good uh, um, question. So um, I'll tell you a little a uh, little, little story that happened. So in, in in my patriarchal blessing, it said that I should keep a journal. And, uh, and I, I did, um, but I really kept a great journal through my mission. And um, I, uh, coming home um, from my mission, I was coming home with a sister missionary at the same time. And uh, we took the train from a town called Poe to Bordeaux. And uh, I took my bags off onto the train station. Um, and there were some elders there to meet us. And I went back on the train to get her bags. And when I came back, um, the elders were already taking bags to the the mission van. And so we got out to the van and this huge duffel bag that I had bought for just going home to carry everything in was missing. Oh, and my. And so I ran back, and the train was taking off, and there was no bag, and uh, and I was heartbroken, um, heartbroken for all the things and memories and things in there, but really, really heartbroken because my two mission journals were in that bag. Mm, yeah, and uh, so um, I went to the mission office and, and told the mission president what had happened, and uh, and then. Um, I went and to a bathroom and locked the door and just prayed and just prayed and uh, was pleading that some miracle would happen for me to get these mission journals back. And um, my mission president called the Paris mission president. It was a a nonstop train to Paris. And the the, the APs went down to the train station and went through it after the train had got there and found an empty bag with everything gone except for my mission journals. Incredible. And they sent them home with a mission missionary uh, who was coming home from Paris and I was able to be reconnected with those. And so <clears> the <throat> reason why I tell that is um, it, uh, in my patriarchal blessing, you know, it, it talks about uh, publishing my journal 
And I've had some kind of unique experiences. I mean, I'm I'm a fairly average person, but uh, I have had some unique experiences. And um, I've tried to share some of them on Facebook. And we were actually at lunch one day, and, uh, you know, you had started uh, uh, this this podcast. And I, I was... I was saying to you, you know, the cool thing about this is that I do a Facebook post of something that happened to me, you know, on my mission or a neat, yeah. neat experience that I've had. And within a day, it's kind of just disappears. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't even go back and find things that I want to find. Sure. Whereas your blog is going to be there for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Someone, you know, in 2018 can discover you and go back and right. and, and listen to these uh, these podcasts that you've done, uh, you know, and, and, and they just stay there. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I should stop just putting on Facebook and have something that sticks around a little longer, because um, I'd really been making a conscious effort to try and share some uplifting things that had happened to me in my life on Facebook, but with a, a blog, you have a much wider audience. Yeah. How'd you come up with the name uh, Rocky Mountain Sunshine? Where'd that come from? Yeah. So you know, I I wanted something that people could go to of all faiths. Um, that uh, would be inspirational and uh, just spread a little sunshine in their life. I love the, you know, yeah. scatter sunshine, uh, um, uh, you know, him, and that that was already taken. So. Yeah, somehow <laughs> someone already took that. RockyMountainSunshine.com is just a great URL also. I mean, yeah. it's so easy to remember once you hear it. It's, yeah. it's really easy. Your blog entries are fantastic. It's a mix of personal experiences but then almost church talk. I mean, you really get into, um, and I, you recently um, were in a bishopric. Mm-hmm. Did some of that come from that needing to prepare, you know, some messages on a regular basis? Yeah, yeah. Um, some of it definitely did. And I, I will usually call out where, you know, if it was a previously written thing, like it was a bishopric message, um, yeah. then, you know, that uh, I thought might be. Um, again, bishopric message, you get it on the front door on the newsletter and, you know, a month later it's gone. So, um, some of those that appealed to a wider audience I I've shared on my blog and, and, sure. uh, different, you know, talks and, and whatnot that I've given. Yeah. Yeah. I, if you haven't read Rocky Mountain Sunshine yet for our listeners, we highly recommend that you go out and, uh, read it. It's really, it's entertaining. It's, it's uplifting and it's just kind of a great shot of the gospel, you know, and, and each entry, I always look forward to it. Like I said, Jason's one of my best friends, and so it's it's uh, a little different. Most of these stories I've heard, but I enjoy reading them again. But some are new. There, you you have life experiences that somehow, even though Jason and I have traveled around the world together, we've been to Asia many times. We've been all over the U.S. We've been to Mexico. We, somehow, you still have stories I've never heard, which is great. That's right. Since you mis- mentioned Asia, I have got to share a story <laughs> because this is such a classic Sean experience. So um, we we went to China together, and uh, we were we were equals in the company. I'd say we're a fifty fifty partnership. You know, we were both. Uh, um, you know, owners of the company, but when Sean made the reservations, oh, I know what this story. This he is. <laughs> uh, he re- reserved the hotel as Doctor Sean Rapier, <laughs> and so when we check in, the head person hears Doctor Sean Rapier and is like, "Oh, I will, I will help Doctor Sean," and uh, you know, you can help his assistant. And I, I can't. What his assistant? They literally thought Jason was my assistant. <laughs> 
And so he got the white glove treatment. They grab his bags. And oh, actually, they said, will your assistant be grabbing your bags or shall we? And I'm just, you know, in shock. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, but laughing at the same time because this is, yeah, know, this, this was, was really so classic funny. Sean. I remember when we were going to go down to use the workout room and, uh, and they had a sauna and a hot tub and stuff. And, and I said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go down. You had to call down first to make an appointment or something. And they said, yes, will your assistant be joining you? I went, hmm, oh, what the heck? I'll let him go this time. Yeah. <laughs> this time I'll allow him to go with me. Yeah, somehow I found myself always walking 10 steps behind wherever you went. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, I don't know if it was on that trip or another trip. I think it was that trip. Jason almost got us arrested in China. True story. Yeah, yeah. there was a police officer who... Uh, was upset with a guy playing his guitar after curfew. And the police officer started hitting with a baton, hitting this poor old man. And we kind of yelled for them to stop. Our American instinct kicked in. And Jason, really being smart in the moment, decides he wants to take a photograph of this. So in China, and by the way, China was not as open then. This is probably 2003, um, 2002. And Jason takes a photo of a policeman hitting a pedestrian and all of a sudden the police were chasing us and we ran and dove in the back of a taxi and the taxi took off and it was kind of pandemonium, but all good memories. Well, Jason, this was great. And again, to our listeners, go check out Rocky Mountain Sunshine. It's a fantastic LDS blog. There's great stuff for people of any faith, great stories from Jason, but then also some really good doctrine in there. Jason, we'll... I was just going to say, Sean, I, I really think that the listeners would like it if you would allow me at some point to turn the table and do an interview with who is Sean Rapier one day. Oh, yeah. I I don't know that there's anyone on the planet that wants to hear that, <laughs> but maybe we could look at that. We could do that someday. Um, we're going we're gonna to wrap things up with the, the same question that I ask all of our guests. Um, there's no right or wrong answer to it, but uh, what does being a member of the church mean to you? You know, it, it it's everything in my life. I, I I'm all in in the gospel, and uh, I I know that uh, um, it is the the center and the core of who I am. Um, I, the understanding of knowing who my Father in heaven is, and the the true purpose of life. You can kind of peel away all the the other stuff, and it really gets down to to knowing that uh, you're a child of God and that uh, families are eternal. I think that nails it. Jason, the blog is called uh, Rocky Mountain Sunshine. You can find it at rockymountainsunshine.com. And thank you for coming in and hanging out and sharing your Latter-day life with us. Thanks, Sean. My special thanks to my dear friend, Jason Bringhurst, uh, again, one of my closest friends in the world, and please go check out Rocky Mountain Sunshine. His blog is just filled with great stories and experiences from his life. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, this week in my Latter-day life, uh, I've been thinking, as I'm sure you have, a lot about President Nelson praying for him. I already miss President Monson, but then again, I miss President Hinckley. I miss all the prophets that have have been before, but I sustain 
President Nelson and just love him. I had the opportunity several years ago to meet him while I was on my mission. In fact, funny, my my wife also met him. Uh, He was touring South America. My wife was in Brazil. She got to translate for President Nelson's wife. Uh, But I got a chance to meet President Nelson and his wife. We were in the southernmost zone in my mission. I mean, southern tip of Chile, just way down south. And and, uh, he came down, which was really special. You had to actually take a flight in order to get down to where we were. And uh, I was one of two zone leaders down there. My companion and I were the zone leaders. And after President Nelson spoke, uh, we were sitting up on the stand with him, which was uh, just a great experience. And he said, I would like to take any questions. And my companion raised his hand. Now, my companion was a real wild card guy. He had, he was an AP in our mission uh, for many, many months. And then he left there and came down to be my companion. Great guy super intense, but sometimes just, I don't know, he did things that were just a little bit funny. And uh, he raised his hand and uh, he was the first one. And President Nelson, Elder Nelson at the time called on him and said, yes, Elder, what's your question? And my companion said, have you ever seen Jesus Christ? Wow. What a question to ask in a public forum. And I looked over and I love my mission president so much. And I just saw him kind of wince a little bit. And Elder Nelson was taken back a bit by this question, just for a second, kind of looked at my companion and, and then very confidently, he said, Elder, there are things in life which are sacred, where if they happened, we would not discuss them and certainly not in an open forum. And I thought, oh no, my companion is being uh, kind of chewed out a little bit. By a prophet, but he did it so lovingly. But then he said, That being said, when I say that I am a special witness of Jesus Christ, when we as apostles say that we are special witnesses of Jesus Christ, please know that we are special witnesses of Jesus Christ. Next question. And in that moment, while he confirmed or said nothing, he said it all. And I don't know how the nuts and bolts of all of it work, but I felt the spirit so overwhelmingly, and I feel it right now telling you that story, because that was such an incredible experience. This is a special man. These are all special leaders, and they are all special witnesses of Jesus Christ, and I'm just excited to see what President Nelson will do. I sustain him, I support him as the president of our church and as a prophet of God, and I know that he is a special witness of Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening in my Latter-day life. Folks, thank you so much for joining us again this week and every week. Please tune in next Monday where we'll have another episode. Uh, I hate to always beg, but if you know someone that might enjoy the show. Boy, the more you share this, the more listeners we get, the more we show up on uh, on all the different podcast sites. If you want to check things out, if you want to stream from directly from our website, all episodes are available at www.latterdaylives.com. Uh, I can be reached at Sean, that's S-H-A-W-N, at latterdaylives.com. I love getting your messages, love feedback on the show, any thoughts that you have, any comments, It's just fantastic. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can check us out. Uh, Just search for Latter-day Lives. We'll come up. And then, of course, uh, we can be heard on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Google Play Music, 
on pretty much any format that you, you want. We're on pretty much all of them now. So thank you again. Your listenership really means a lot to us. And until next week, as always, there's a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>